Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data, with instant analysis of WWE Elimination Chamber. That's right, the Silver King is back just minutes after WWE's latest pay-per-view on the road to WrestleMania 37 went off the air to break down every single thing that happened on the show. And folks, it was a monumental pay-per-view, even if it maybe didn't feel like it was going to be until the final few minutes. But we're going to get into this hot and heavy because this is instant analysis. This isn't one of those shows where we drone on for 10 minutes with an intro, although we do have a couple things to take care of before we get into it. First, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Second, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop five-star ratings and reviews, let people know how much you love this damn show. That's it. That's the business. It's out of the way. I'm here to welcome in my co-host, none other than vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, I am extremely excited to talk about WWE Elimination Chamber. Yep. I've got power. I've got running water. And now I've got a heck of a pay-per-view to talk about. So everything's going in the right direction now. Chris is in Texas. He was unable to do our ultimate preview earlier this week because he lost power and water. He did not run off to Cancun, unlike some others from the Lone Star State. But Chris is fully on board now to talk all things Elimination Chamber. And the way we do that on these very special instant analysis podcasts, we crack open a cold one. And the Silver King is going away from his hometown brewery. I'm rocking Oozle Finch Brewing out of Virginia, eating can cakes. It is a Imperial Stout with bananas, maple syrup, vanilla bean, and natural flavors. I am psyched to get wow. this one going. Chris, what do you have with you? Wow. I, I've got uh, the, the Dallas Blonde again from, from Deep Ellum Brewing Company. Uh, same as I had after Ooh. the Rumble, but after the, uh, after the week that we've had here in Texas, I figure I should support. Honestly, the, the fact that you have any beer is kind of impressive, I got to say. No, I, I just... I, and that it's cold. No, yeah. Well, it, it's good that it's cold. It wasn't cold uh, for a bit earlier, but... I guess you theoretically could have just stuck it in the snow outside and it would have worked. But That's true. That's true. Okay. Nevertheless, we are here. Hey, I'm quoting Michael Cole already. Nevertheless, uh, we are here to get into WWE Elimination Chamber. And we have a lot to talk about. So for any of you who are potential first-time listeners, the way we normally handle this, we tape our ultimate previews on Tuesday before the go-home edition of SmackDown. So sometimes there's some extraneous things that happen on SmackDown that we throw into the show. We're going to do that. Once again, here, we also normally do Elimination Chamber by the most important stuff starting at the top and working our way down. That's going to be a little bit different this time because of what actually happened on the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. It means in order to actually discuss thoroughly some of the match results and some of the future storytelling, we kind of need to go in a different order. So don't worry, the Silver King's here to lead you through the entire thing. I just wanted to kind of get that out off the top so you knew how the show would operate. So let's hop into the WWE Elimination Chamber instant analysis, Chris. And as we always do, we start with the pre-show grade. So I, you know, polled our listeners on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. And here's what came back. We had a small sample size. Surprising, we usually get a, a significant number of contributors, but small sample size, 5.6% said the show would be an A, 58.4% said a B, so that's 64% of 
two thirds saying an A or B, 35% at D and 1%, sorry, 35% at C and 1% at D or F. So really probably one or two people voted D or F. And most people figured this was gonna be a B or a C show. And Chris, going in, I was not overly thrilled. Two matches changed at the last minute. The booking of the Raw Elimination Chamber was extremely suspect, although they did fix it slightly by putting Kofi Kingston in the match. They didn't necessarily play that out the way I wanted to. We'll get to that a little bit later. So I was actually, despite WWE being on a run of, I'd have to go back and count, but six, seven, or eight consecutive great two very good pay-per-views. I came into this with an expectation of a B minus. What about you? No, I had about a B plus. I mean, I agree the travel, the journey we took to get here was a bit sloppy at times, but I thought the final result of what they were going to give us looked pretty good on paper. And I, I, I thought we'd have some some fun stuff out of it. So one of the matches we lost, didn't really care about, so it's fine. Uh, you know, obviously would have liked to have Keith Lee around, but I, I, I was thinking B plus. They've been pretty good with these shows, especially on ones with only a few matches. Um, it's a, it, they make it shorter, and the stuff that they give you ends up usually being pretty good, and that's kind of what I expected coming in. Now, I loved everything about the intro. We don't usually talk about those, but they gave us a great historical look at all the elimination chambers that preceded it. Michael Cole also dug into history at the very beginning to mention how Triple H and Eric Bischoff basically originated the match. WWE needs to do that more. They do it for really the Royal Rumble and occasionally for WrestleMania if there's a a certain moment that they want to tie back to, but they don't necessarily do it for all their other events. I thought considering the amount of history, I think Cole may have said this was the 27th and 28th Elimination Chamber matches they've ever had. That's a significant amount of history, even though the years you know, aren't that deep. So I just love that intro package. I don't know if you got a chance to kind of pay attention to it or not. Yeah, no, anytime they, you know, hype up something that they do, they should do that all the time. They have so much history and so many different things. It makes sense to treat an elimination chamber like they've treated Money in the Bank or a Survivor Series match or, you know, a Royal Rumble. You know, if if you've got it, you, you know, we talk all the time about they don't promote their history enough as it relates to, Uh, how it ties into what's going on now. So, no, good call. So we're going to start off talking about the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match, which was basically a number one contendership for the Universal Championship. Before we get into what happened on the pay-per-view, I'm going to talk about what actually happened on the go-home SmackDown. And Chris, I will give you plenty of pauses throughout everything today to kind of interject. So because some of these matches are long, like Elimination Chamber, some of these other things, there will be plenty of opportunities for Chris to get in here. I'm not going to try to talk too long on all these matches. Uh, but for SmackDown, Reigns and Edge basically jawed about being the main event of WrestleMania. Sami Zayn then surprisingly came in and ranted in the ring before being knocked out with a Jey Uso superkick. Sami, by the way, is easily doing his best work right now of his entire career. Reigns leaned over and inaudibly whispered in Edge's ear that played back a little bit later on Sunday. It was never addressed again, though, on SmackDown itself. And I just assumed that they would reveal what he actually said later. I found the opening of SmackDown to be weak. Edge later throughout the show spoke with everyone in the chamber match. The most notable interactions were Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan. KO was wearing a Malcolm Bivin shirt. Quick aside, huge fan of his in NXT, so it was kind of cool to see that. Uh, Bryan later made jokes about KO always turning on his friends and even referenced Chris Jericho, which was pretty funny. And then in the main event, basically we got a six-man tag, the faces versus the heels. 
Brian hit Zane with an avalanche double underhook suplex, and then one with the yes lock. Everyone traded big moves until Edge speared Jay, and Reigns came out of nowhere to spear Edge, ending SmackDown. So I thought it was a very strong close to an okay show, and it set up the pay-per-view nicely, perhaps even nicer than I expected when I actually got to the pay-per-view itself. Yeah, going into this SmackDown Elimination Chamber match, they made me feel like anybody could win this. And that's not, we don't often get that in these matches. And, you know, normally I wouldn't like that they do a six-man tag going into the Elimination Chamber match because, oh, you're going to preview all these guys fighting each other by giving us them fighting each other. But it was everything else they did on the show that helped. Edge, you know, when Cesaro's talking to Edge and saying, hey, I'm going to win an Elimination Chamber uh, and I'll be the champ and I'll face you at WrestleMania. And like, they made me believe that Cesaro Edge could be the main event of WrestleMania. I know it's not going to be, but they just present it in a way where they treat everybody involved in this feud with respect and like they matter. And as a result, you go into this match thinking anybody, anybody's got a shot here. Now, going into the go-home SmackDown, which, again, we taped the Ultimate Preview before it on Tuesday, I was leaning towards either Cesaro or Kevin Owens to win the Elimination Chamber. I ultimately settled on Cesaro. You did not get a chance to share your expectation and your pick. So what was it going into the match? My pick was going to be Daniel Bryan because I had become become convinced that Edge Roman was the way they wanted to go, and this would be the way to do it. But why wouldn't that work with Cesaro or Owens? Because I think they still wanted to give us Daniel Bryan versus Roman in some form. And this would, this would have been the way to do it. Although, it. Although, although with the way the match started playing out, I again, there was part of me during that match that thought during the match that Cesaro was going to win. So Yeah, well, let's get to the match. Let's, let's move yeah. on and get to the match. So Bryan and Cesaro started, which was great because we got some truly fantastic wrestling right off the top. Corbin was third. Uh, he exploited Brian's injured knee basically the whole match. Zane was fourth and held his door closed, but Cesaro grabbed him from the other side in a really funny spot. They battled atop the pod, then scaled the chamber. Cesaro kicked Zane off and then did freaking pull-ups under the roof of the chamber, which was really cool. He hit Corbin with a flying European uppercut, did the swing, and eliminated him with the sharpshooter. So Corbin's out. Owens was fifth in, and Zane begged him to team up, so he basically declined and ran him between the pods back and forth, nailing him into them. As I said earlier, Sammy is absolutely killing it. This is the best work of his entire career. Uh, Everyone hit their signature moves. Brian nailed Cesaro with a running knee finisher, but did not get a chance to cover. Owens also hit a pump handle neck breaker on Brian in a really, really sick move. Uh, Before Jay's pod opened, he entered last. I thought this was a hot start to the match, and I was loving the action, Chris. But in this moment, and it was really... The only time I think the entire show not having fans was noticeable because the stuff that Cesaro and Brian were doing would have popped a crowd to an insane degree. But instead, you just had the canned responses. And as you noticed, by the way, during the show, and I've said this before, in the Thunderdome, WWE saves this is awesome, that chant and similar chants for whatever the predetermined main event is. It doesn't matter how cool spots are in other matches. They don't bring that those types of sounds out, the holy shit, that this is awesome, all that, unless it's the main event. So they didn't get the canned response, nor obviously the live response that they would have gotten. I think this 
in front of a crowd would have been an A match. Instead, for me, it wasn't. But we can get to that. Yeah, it, it's it, it, they more more than ever in this period. They kind of control. I mean, literally control what the reaction is. So it's harder for someone to maybe get a surprise, you know, sympathy type of reaction and, and, and increased uh, cheers from the crowd. And that was an example like this where I think Cesaro especially would have maybe gotten a little extra uh, than he did. Yeah. So Owens hit a pretty ridiculous moonsault off the top of a pod onto all the others. And then he hit like three or four stunners, eventually pinning Sami Zayn. By the way, Owens is so underrated. He absolutely kicked ass in this match. Yeah. Uh, when the door opened, Jay slammed it on Owens' right arm, the door to the entire chamber I'm talking about. And then he super kicked him five times, following with the Samoan slash for the elimination. So I thought this was perfect. It was exactly what I basically expected when I did the ultimate preview. They created a reason for Owens to get his final match at Fastlane, presumably, as an intermediate opponent for Reigns, because they still need to kind of tie a bow on that entire feud. And by having Jay be the one to basically take him out and eliminate him, he didn't cheat, but he definitely did it in a dirty way. It kind of just extends that tension. And I am excited to kind of hopefully see Owens get that match at Fastlane, which is something we all kind of expected to happen. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, again, like I said, you felt like all almost all these people in this match deserved a one-on-one match with Reigns. I, I mean, All the faces did. I yeah, mean, yeah. Well, Owens has had a not, few not, already. Yeah, 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 I mean, not Sami Zayn, but but like you know, there was a part when 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 Jay eliminated Kevin Owens, I was like, oh, could, could Jay actually win this now? I, I mean, maybe they do Jay Roman at, at Fastlane or something like that. Or I, I mean, coming up after this, and I'm curious to see what that does going into Fastlane. So sure, uh, yeah, it was um that was a really cool spot the way they uh, eliminated uh, KO and stuff at the door and the super kick after super kick, man, that was brutal. That was was an awesome, awesome spot by those guys. And again, Jey Uso continues, you know, he's Roman's lackey, if you will, but he continues to look good in in a lot of these situations. Absolutely. So we'll get to the finish now. Cesaro nearly pinned Jey, then swung him into the chamber cage a couple of times. He went back to the top tier wrestling he was doing with Brian and hit an avalanche uh, gut buster, then a one-leg swing to Brian's bad knee, which was an incredible move. And you're like, all right, he's about to hit the sharpshooter on Brian, eliminate him. It's going to be Cesaro and Jey Uso. Instead, Jey just super kicks Cesaro's head off (laughs) and hits the Simone splash, eliminates Cesaro. That shocked me. It was extremely well done, but it just totally surprised me in the moment. Then Jey splashed Brian, but he kicked out at 2.8. So Jay went to the top of the pod exactly how Kofi Kingston lost to Daniel Bryan two years ago Uh, in this match, by the way. But Bryan got the double knees up, then he hit the running knee, and he got the win to take Elimination Chamber. So first off, this was a fantastic match, incredibly well-booked, probably something like a B-plus. I mean, it wasn't an A Elimination Chamber. We've seen those, but this was damn good. B-plus Elimination Chamber. I don't really, I didn't really in the moment agree with the decision of having Brian win when Cesaro has been the one getting juiced. He beat Brian twice. He was the strongest one in this entire match. Cesaro was the star of the match. Like clearly he was the one that got put over. And look, we have wanted Reigns Brian at WrestleMania anyway. So I wasn't thrilled that Brian was the choice. We're going to save what happened in the match that followed. But in the moment, I just didn't necessarily think it was right. 
Although a thought did pop in my head about Brian winning and WWE going with a triple threat at WrestleMania, Edge versus Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan. I knew the odds of that even in the moment were basically zero, but I started thinking about like, oh man, maybe they could do something really unique where it's the best of both worlds. They get what they want with Edge. The fans get what they want with Daniel Bryan. Reigns has two different storylines he can tackle over the next two months. My head started spinning. We'll talk about ultimately what happened. But in the moment, I do still think, without knowing what what transpired afterward, that Cesaro should have been the winner. I I thought that too. But I also thought the match with Roman was going to be the final match of the night. As did I. So I didn't know it was coming back to back. So as soon as Roman comes out, and, you're, and I'm aware that, oh, this match is happening right now. And then Daniel Bryan's in that position as the underdog with all these odds against him. I think that I think that played into helping Bryan's case as, as being the guy here. It made a lot more sense, given the context of Reigns coming out, to have Bryan win because of all the things we're going to talk about right now. But prior to that, as the bell rang and he got the one, two, three... I just, I just was like, man, this doesn't make sense because like you just said, if you were going to do this in the main event, Roman Reigns one-on-one with the winner of the Elimination Chamber, it should have been Cesaro if it was if they were going to do that. Yeah. Do you, I, do you agree? I, I, I think that would have, I think that would have made sense. Yeah. Okay. So they didn't do that. And as you said, as soon as the match ended, Roman Reigns music basically hit right away. Uh, he made his methodical entrance. Brian surprised Reigns because as soon as the bell rang, he jumped on the spear by grabbing Reigns' arm and immediately countered it into a yes lock, which was an insane spot and super smart. They gave us the hope spot at the very beginning of the match in the first 15 to 30 seconds of the match, which is not something that you do because a hope spot usually comes later. But they weren't going to do that because it was an immediate match. I just thought that was such smart booking. Reigns quickly powered out of it. Then he beat Brian very, very soon after that with a guillotine choke. I guess now that we know the booking was to be a squash immediately after the chamber, then yes, having Cesaro win and then get squashed, it would have murdered his momentum. It would have made it meaningless, etc. Brian, as we have seen over the last six months at this point, he can lose to anyone at any time and it doesn't diminish him at all. You still think of him as a potential main eventer. But with Cesaro, it would have crushed any momentum that he possibly could have gotten. But Chris, I will say, as someone who on this podcast and with you, we've talked about extensively on the road to WrestleMania, that we really wanted Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns in that main event to get it kind of given to us and then slapped out of our faces. It almost hurt even more. But I think that was actually the point of the booking. Yeah, I I mean... Obviously, we know that Edge Roman is going to happen now. So if that's where they're going, it, it makes sense. Um, I, I think we can all see where things are going now. It, part of it is always like we have to like we have to not be disapp- not necessarily be disappointed when we don't get what we predicted. Exactly. That, that doesn't mean it's wrong. That doesn't mean it's bad. You just got to keep your minds open to it. I'm ups- I, I'm sad we're not going to get a Dana Bryan Roman Reigns main event at WrestleMania. But I'm also excited we're going to get Edge Roman. And I, I wasn't necessarily there two weeks ago, but I am now because they've done a very good job because SmackDown has done a very good job for quite a long time here. And I trust them to get these things right. 
And and they did get it right, ultimately. And, you know, we, we were talking about it before the Royal Rumble. We said the correct booking, quote unquote correct, if we were booking the damn territory, our fantasy booking, is for Daniel Bryan to win the Royal Rumble, the event where the whole deal with Roman started, uh, and then to face Reigns for the title at WrestleMania and maybe lose to him, right? But we we booked that. Once Bryan didn't win Royal Rumble, I think we talked about, hey, well, that's it. This isn't going to happen because there's no way Daniel Bryan wins Elimination Chamber. That wouldn't make any sense because they're not going to, if you're going to have him face Reigns at WrestleMania, he would just win the Royal Rumble. That's the story that you actually would want to tell. Instead, he does win Elimination Chamber and it has nothing to do with WrestleMania, but it ends up being Daniel Bryan anyway. So I just personally thought that it was so funny for us to kind of, or for me at least, I don't want to speak for you, for me to like discount it as a possibility. And then it happens, but then the match happens right away. You don't even get it at the main event of the pay-per-view, meaning Elimination Chamber. So I just thought that whole thing was really funny. Yeah, they're, they're giving us things we didn't expect and, it, and, it's, and it's working. It's, yes, it's, it's I could not have predicted that tonight for SmackDown would have transpired as it did. That's that's just the truth. So Reigns is celebrating after beating Brian, and he turns around and Edge jumps in from out of nowhere with a huge spear, absolutely levels Reigns. He then points at the WrestleMania sign twice, whispered back in Reigns' ear, both callbacks, by the way, to SmackDown. Mm -hmm. So the whispering in the ear and the spear out of nowhere at the end of the match. So both really good callbacks. I thought it was hot. Uh, A crowd... If this was in front of the crowd, forget the Elimination Chamber match. Edge doing this and the beginning of the match with Reigns and Bryan, a crowd would have gone mental if they got to see that live. Yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, like I said, I have, I was not super into Edge Roman at the beginning because I didn't, I was like, what, what's the connection here? Is it really going to, what's the story they're trying to tell? The story they're telling is two guys that just don't like each other and they're getting madder and madder at each other every week. And they just want to beat each other up. And it's working for me. I mean, they are hot. They are fire when they're just when they're on the mic with each other, when they're talking about each other. Um, I'm really excited for how these next two months or so or month plus, I guess, are, are going to play out. So ultimately, we look at this and we'll wrap up here. We'll move on to the rest of the card. We, qu- we question, was the Elimination Chamber match itself ultimately pointless? Because... We can't always get what we want at all times, like you said. Not what we predict, not what we hope. But if it's still good, then it doesn't necessarily matter. But I did get a number of DM slides and tweets, including from Jordan at LSU Jordan 45 as as a Florida graduate and fan. I can't even believe I'm reading this on the show. (laughs) Uh, He said, WWE really said, oh, you guys want Roman and Brian? Here's a two minute match where Daniel Bryan is basically unconscious. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that is exactly what they did. They slipped it in. Now, that's also, though, I, the way I look at it, it's also the point of the booking. We're supposed to be angry yep. at how this transpired. <laughs> yep. And you now have to wonder, because there's four weeks until Fastlane, and then I think a slightly longer stretch, I believe it's six weeks from Fastlane to WrestleMania, you have to wonder whether Brian is going to try and get a real title chance. Maybe it's in a SmackDown main event, or perhaps it's at Fastlane. You also probably have Kevin Owens, who still wants retribution on Reigns in general, and now on Jey Uso as well. So was the result of Elimination Chamber wiped out in two or three minutes, and now that match is irrelevant? Somewhat, yes. 
But we don't know how this is going to continue because Daniel Bryan somehow will be involved at WrestleMania. It's not going to be for the WWE title, but you expect him to be part of a top-level story of some kind. So I am curious now, and and they got me. This is the point of pay-per-views. TV is supposed to get you to buy the pay-per-view. Now, these days, subscribe to the network. And the pay-per-view is supposed to get you to tune in to the very next TV show. And I can tell you, coming out of Elimination Chamber, we'll talk about Raw later, I want to go see SmackDown on Friday because I want to know how this is all going to work out. Yep. No, no, exactly. I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with, with Brian. Um, he's really just been on this streak for months now of just getting everybody else over that you kind of wonder, is his moment going to come or is it or is it not? Right. And, 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 and that, I think, aspect of it is going to play, it has played into this story, played into his Rumble you know, the storyline. And I, I imagine it's still something they're going to talk about as well. Hey, the other scenario too, is they put Brian back on the back burner. They roll through mania and Brian could end up being the challenger for reigns. Maybe even the guy who ultimately takes the title off of him. Whenever money in the bank, SummerSlam, like who knows where this is going to go. But yes, SmackDown has really earned our trust where did it hurt me to not see Brian get a quote unquote real match? Yeah, but that's them winning. It's supposed to hurt me. It's, it's, it's supposed to be the opposite of what I want to happen. And it worked. And it got me hating heel reigns more. Not WWE, because it was a totally fine piece of booking. That's the thing. That's the distinction that we, I used to talk about on the show before. WWE getting you to hate what you see on TV. It, it, there's two different ways that can go. One, it's piss poor booking. In which case, they deserve the hate that we give them. On the other, they're working you. And that's what wrestling is all about. The more I can get worked in a single night, the better it is. They need they, they need you to get you to hate what you saw, but want to see how it gets resolved. I want they they need you to get they need to get you to hate what you saw, but not hate them for booking it. Yeah, and that's what this was. I I was like, oh man, this sucks, but it made sense, complete sense, and it was a good piece of booking. So the, the other thing I would say is that did this elimination chamber match matter? I mean, I think so. Honestly, it was interesting. I, there was more interest for this one coming in than I think I've had in a lot of other ones because of the stipulation of the match coming up later in the show turned out to be right after. So, no, I, I thought it mattered. It did. The one thing I'll say that was unique this year is generally because of the Royal Rumble stipulation, there's at least one Elimination Chamber match that results in a number one contendership for WrestleMania. Now. We didn't get that this year, but we kind of did. And we'll talk about that right now. We're going to go move on now and talk about the men's championships over on Raw. Let's actually start with the United States Championship, a triple threat match booked between Bobby Lashley, Riddle, and Keith Lee. So Tom Phillips mentioned on Raw this past Monday that Keith Lee was dealing with an injury. And as it turns out, he ultimately was left out of the match. I mentioned this back on our Ultimate Preview, where I had Keith Lee beating Bobby Lashley for the title, uh, just a refresher here. But if he wasn't going to be in the match, then I had Riddle winning the title. So as it turns out, Lee's not in the match. I figured they were just going to go one-on-one, but they decided not to do that. And it was frustrating to me a little bit because everything with Keith Lee, since he moved over to Raw, since he got drafted or brought up, whatever you want to call it, it's all been start and stop due to Booking decisions, injuries, uh, his fiance Mia Yim reportedly got COVID, so he had to be out of off of TV for a couple of weeks. But 
this guy just can't get fully started. Like he keeps getting like breadcrumbs, like big pieces of bread, actually, not crumbs, big pieces of bread, but he's not getting the loaf. And that's what he kind of needs. And it sucks that another opportunity has almost come and gone without him getting that chance. So WWE decided we're not going to just go one-on-one. We need a third guy in this match. We need to go triple threat, basically because they needed a fall guy for Bobby Lashley. So on the kickoff show, they ran Mustafa Ali, sorry, Mustafa Ali, Ricochet, Elias, and John Morrison. And by the way, it was a damn good kickoff show match. Elias got some shine. Ricochet kicked out of Moonlight Drive. He avoided Starship Pain. Uh, He then hit a great double springboard moonsault. Later, a springboard 450 onto Ali. Retribution caught Ricochet flying on a tope cannonball. Then they drove his spine into the steel post as Morrison folded over Ali for the surprise win. I thought this should have been Ricochet's victory, but they did a really good job of making him shine and make him into the star of the match without having him factor into the finish. Morrison ultimately won. And considering that person, for any semi-smart fan, you knew that person would be the expected loser in the triple threat match. Morrison winning was really a lot better than Ali winning. And certainly I wouldn't want to have seen Elias in the match. So initially I was like, oh man, Ricochet should have won. But I completely turned on a dime there. And I said, you know what? No, Morrison winning is actually the really smart move. And I thought it worked out. I thought this was a very good underrated kickoff show match. Yeah, and I'll say once again, I think they should call the kickoff show Sunday Night Heat. Bring that back. It would make it more interesting for a kickoff show. Not going to get into it again. I just think it's a good idea. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't think much of the match. I, obviously, we didn't think anybody who was going to win had a chance to win the match. Um, you knew you wanted a guy who could bounce around Bobby Lashley and make him look good and stuff like that. So you figured you didn't figure Mustafa Ali was going to get the win and then lose. So you figured it was Morrison or Ricochet. I think I still think you could have gone with either one. I don't think they really have any plans for Ricochet right now. Um, so it, it whatever. But Morrison's involved with Miz and Miz stuff's going on. So I, I think it all made sense. I think it was just better for Morrison to get this, considering it was a throwaway. Where then if you put Ricochet in this and he just bounces for Lashley, just like he bounced for Lesnar, you're like, all right, so he finally gets a chance and he just gets obliterated again. In this it, because in this case, because Morrison's a larger guy, he held his own. He was a full part of the match. So I think that's why it was ultimately the right booking. But you're right. Either one of them would have been a, a perfectly fine choice. So on to the match itself. Lashley dominated early, so the challengers teamed up. It was pretty frantic and it actually happened really quick. It, it was great action though. Morrison leveled Lashley with a tope corkscrew. Then Riddle hit floating bro outside. Riddle and Morrison got to tangle a little bit. I thought that was pretty fun. Riddle knocked Lashley down with a final flash and hit floating bro. But Morrison broke the fall. So we got the moment where, hey, maybe Riddle would have beaten Lashley. You just don't know, right? Morrison broke the fall. Uh, Then Morrison hit Starship Pain, but Lashley kicked out at like 1.5. MVP was screaming trash. So Morrison got outside kind of like in a babyface way and stole his crutch, threw it into the ring. Lashley got Morrison in the hurt lock, but Riddle broke it with the crutch, legitimately snapping it over Lashley's back, not once, but twice. So the first time you can see it like snapping and you're like, oh, okay, he's a big dude. It's not a surprise and snap. But the second time, there's a lot less crutch. So he must have hit him exceedingly hard (laughs) or, or gimmicked. 
for that thing to break twice. I just, I, I thought it was really impressive. Uh, pieces of it went flying everywhere. So Lashley's taken out. Riddle grabs Morrison, hits him with Bro Derek to become the new United States champion. Honestly, I thought it was an exceptional piece of booking. This is what we expected to happen. Lashley losing without taking the fall. I'm guessing that with Lee being out, Riddle got the win instead. But honestly, dude, we've talked about it for weeks. Riddle deserved the title at the end of this feud anyway. So I think it's great to see him get the rocket strapped. Something that transpired later makes it feel as if he'll be moving on from the Hurt Business. And that's great. The United States Championship needs a new fresh direction. And Riddle needs some legitimacy aside from just being the class clown. So I thought ultimately this was a very, very strong piece of booking and agency. Yeah, I mean, as much as as excited as we were to have big meaty men slapping meat. Oh yeah, in 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 Bobby Lashley. And by the way, I'm going to interrupt. I'm, I'm going to interrupt briefly. These may not have been the biggest and meatiest men, but I'll tell you what we got. Put your meat on my meat, man. That's not what we got. This isn't what gently I mean. You got Gen- please yeah. gently, gently. I'm, I'm delicate. This is the one I meant. Because Riddle and Morrison, they were flying. Beef was flying because of Bobby Lashley. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as we wanted to see that, I do think this might be better in the short term for the reasons you just said. Riddle, the Riddle-Lashley feud was so strange and Riddle losing so many title matches. It's like they didn't know what they wanted to do with him. I also agree. If Keith Lee was in this match, Keith Lee probably pins Riddle for the win. And then, and then where do you go with Riddle at that point? So I, I think this, it, it might ed- actually end up being a good thing in the end. Now that Riddle can kind of get a boost from this and go from there. Match was fun. You know, it was good. Like you said, it, was, it ended up the way we expected it. I, I just, I got to mention the problem I have with triple threat matches. And I don't know if this is a WWE rule or if it's everywhere, but if a triple threat match is automatically a no DQ, I don't know why weapons aren't a regular part of this thing. Like, the crutch, yeah. the, the crutch, you know, yeah, it's no DQ. It makes sense. Well, why are we not do? Why are we doing regular wrestling throughout all the time? Like, I, I don't know. If it's just what the rules of wrestling are. I, I feel like triple threat should not be an automatic no DQ. I, I think there should be a DQ, and if you get DQ, you get booted from the match. It becomes a one on one. It's just a thing. I've always had this issue with triple threat matches. It played into the finish of this match. And I just wanted to bring it back up again. So, no, you're right. So it is the rules of triple threat basically everywhere. I mean, I'm sure there are some promotions somewhere or at some point where what you said is the rule. And that is my rule. Like, if I had the option, fatal four ways, triple threats, any multi-man matches, if someone gets disqualified or counted out, it just reverts to a one-on-one match or a triple threat or, you know, it goes down by one person. So I actually agree completely with you on that. But no, every WWE and I think... Almost every triple threat match that I've ever heard of uh, is a by default no disqualification because or and no countout because you can't really have those things. And you know the the biggest organizations we would compare it to, which are AEW and New Japan at this point in time, neither of them even really. Ha- I mean, you can get called for disqualification in both of them, but they generally let almost anything go before they even consider a disqualification. It's referee decision. So. That's even the case for them in singles matches, right? So in this case, I I don't really think that's a huge deal. And I thought it was good because, look, you had Riddle in a spot where he possibly could have pinned Lashley if it wasn't for Morrison interfering. Then you had Riddle take out Lashley. He didn't pin him, but he took him out of the action. 
with the crutch shot. So he kind of took him out twice in the match. He still won the title. He got put over. And as we'll discuss a little bit later, it looks like everything's moving on. So before we wrap up and we move on to the rest of this card, I did want to kind of take a breath and get your mindset at the end of this match. Because I said, okay, let me sit and wonder what's ahead for everyone involved here. Riddle, perhaps Lee is able to come back soon and maybe they go for a run, WrestleMania run, for the United States Championship. It would be great because they have tremendous history together, independence, Evolve. They were tag team partners you know, back in the day, not in WWE, but these two work exceedingly well together. So maybe you turn Lee heel, maybe Riddle's heel. I don't know what exactly you do, but I think you could create a feud with those two on the road to WrestleMania. For Lashley though, Chris, and I did say this on my ultimate preview, it was my prediction he would lose the title and it was my prediction that something would transpire after that. My immediate thought was Drew McIntyre. And I don't remember if you and I ever discussed it previously. You can correct me in a moment. But Lashley losing that title and still being as big of a monster and a dominant force as he was in that match, it said to me in that moment, he is your favorite, if I had to put odds on it, to be Drew McIntyre's competitor at WrestleMania. Yeah, we talked about a little bit because that match that they had last year the, the Lashley McIntyre match. We, like, we thought it was a great match. The second feud I think he had. Yeah. It was Styles I mean, and then him. Or yeah, maybe was, Rollins, Styles, and Lashley. It, it was, was something a, like it that. It was a surprisingly yeah. really good feud, and they never went back to it. And and I, w- I was surprised with that. And so when Lashley loses this match, I, I have two thoughts. One is, is yours. One is he's going to somehow get in the main event picture. He didn't get pinned in this. So, you know, he's he's safe. My other thought was... They've really just been running Lashley back, doing the same things over and over and over again. And maybe because Keith Lee wasn't in this, maybe they'll do this triple threat match that they were going to do. Maybe they'll do that at WrestleMania. That was my other thought. So I was interesting. I was of two minds. I thought, hey, maybe we'll get the Keith Lee riddle Lashley triple threat at WrestleMania instead. Uh, Or Lashley's going to get into the main event somehow. So I was those were those were the two ways I was thinking. Okay, so let's move on to the Elimination Chamber match. For the WWE Championship, we had Drew McIntyre defending against Randy Orton, Sheamus, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy, and Kofi Kingston. So before the match, Kofi was making his way to the ring. He checked his blind side on the way in, and that's a really nice callback to Edge when Edge basically took him out, entered the chamber. I forgot the year. I kind of want to say 2007, maybe 2009, something like that. But it was a great callback on Kofi's part. But it was unfortunate Because what did I want to happen? I really wanted Mustafa Ali to attack Kofi and take him out and continue telling their story and work it into this. They decided not to do that. That's okay. The pods were all mic'd up. Now, you could hear into the pods a little bit during the SmackDown Chamber match, but you could really hear them during the Raw Chamber match. Kofi and AJ Styles were absolutely hysterical. And I want to play Kofi's segment of this before the match began. <laughs> like he's like so it's almost like 
that's what a wrestler would do if the mic was not on <laughs> to make it look like they're jawing and saying something ridiculous to try to pop their friend, right? Yeah, yeah. But so I, I got to know, and I have to ask Kofi one day, hopefully I get a chance to interview him at some point soon. And hopefully I remember to ask. But I have to know if he knew the mic was on there or if that's just like the type of stuff he normally does. It was <laughs> I was cracking up. I wasn't crying, but I was so close. Like, I, cause I knew I had to focus and like, see what was going to happen. But dude, like talking about him slithering in there and the quads and doing the squats, he's a trip. I thought that was just hysterical. Yeah, that was funny. Really, really good. So, okay. Hardy and Orton started the match. McIntyre was third in. Again, you notice I didn't say anything cause nothing really happened there. Uh, and nothing really did happen until Kofi came in fourth. He did a single leg takedown of Orton and folded him up for the one, two, three in a shocker. But I did think it was pretty cool because, look, you had the long-term storyline with Kofi and Orton back after Kofi won the WWE Championship. And then, you know, the history between them. Um, and so the fact that Kofi got to go over Orton again, I just thought that was pretty cool. They had to eliminate him from the match anyway, so you might as well do it that way. Orton then RKO'd Kofi and Hardy. Omas ripped the backside of Styles' plexiglass pod open. Uh, Styles ran around the outside of the chamber and inside the front steps trying to capitalize on the RKOs, but he couldn't get either pinfall. Adam Pierce then came down and ejected Omas. It didn't really make any sense, Chris, that Omas was allowed at ringside in the first place when Sami Zayn's camera crew right. was ejected by Ref Jess before the SmackDown match. I just thought at this point in the match, this was way slower and way less exciting than the SmackDown match. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to say it was referee. I don't know if it was a different ref for this match and you want to say referee discretion decide Maybe. who could be at wing set and who couldn't. But it was it was a it really, is inconsistent, though. I mean, it was a really cool spot. I wish it had been used on something that mattered more in the match. I, I mean, it was used so AJ could try to get two pins that didn't end up working anyway. So it was kind of a, he probably of, should have pinned Hardy there. Yeah, yeah. Probably, but that would have made sense because then it, it actually is a benefit to doing it, right? Right. That's what I was like. Oh, you could have like actually done something with something cool. Like and that. you know, you, you know what they also should have done? They should have done the uh, like scripted the light show, like where it goes between each pod, and then landed on Styles' pod, but he's already in the ring, right? Yeah. Like, like I thought they should have done that. Like really Maybe. played it up. You know? Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was just kind of whatever. It was weird. It was. Um, uh, yeah, it's just kind of, I think it could have, interesting idea. I like the idea. I just think it could have been tweaked a little bit better. Yeah, it was unique. It just wasn't ultimately that. I think I, I really like the things that are coming up with Omus to do for AJ. He, they, they keep doing really fun things with him uh, as just kind of the muscle. And it's AJ and him, are, they, I, I love them together. I still I really like him. Absolutely. So McIntyre brawled with Sheamus when he entered last as booked because he won the gauntlet match. Kofi wound up atop the pod as the other four did a super duper plex. And then Kofi did a trust fall onto all of them. Sheamus eliminated Kofi with a bro kick. Hardy was unsuccessful with three twists of fate, a cannonball from the top of the pod. And the, I think that was actually whisper in the wind now that I think about it. And a swanton bomb because McIntyre nailed him with the claymore for an elimination. That left McIntyre, Sheamus and Styles as the final three. So after white noise by Sheamus, Styles hit McIntyre with a springboard cannonball sent on, and then a springboard 450 for two near falls. Styles was really kicking ass towards the end of the match. McIntyre intercepted a bro kick with a future shock DDT, but Sheamus countered the Claymore with a bro kick. 
Styles then nailed Sheamus with the phenomenal forearm before Sheamus could pin McIntyre to get the elimination. So Styles beat Sheamus. That was the best sequence of the match. And then it got even better a second later when McIntyre caught Styles flying with another phenomenal forearm, nailed him midair. It hit. They timed it great with a Claymore to retain, retain the title in the end as expected. I thought it was a mediocre, truly forgettable chamber match, but the finish, those final two to three minutes were exceedingly strong. That was very well booked and McIntyre had to win. I mean, we talked about the circumstance of like, what if Sheamus wins and McIntyre wins it back? No, McIntyre winning was the right move. You want to, in that moment, keep him looking strong. This was the complete opposite of the SmackDown match where I thought anybody could win. I I didn't think McIntyre was going to lose it. Right. In, the, in this match. So, right. Yeah. And it was, it was, it did drag a little bit, but it did feel particularly brutal. I, I mean, the, the, the hits, the kicks, the, it, it got real, real physical, especially in that final sequence. I'm trying to think who was it? Was it AJ? Remember Roman, someone jumped off the top rope and Roman uh, timed up a perfect spear. I don't know if it was AJ or Shane McMahon. I don't remember which one it was, but mm. that's what that that's what this Claymore reminded me of. And this Claymore might have been even better. It is better because it's so much more difficult. Yes, it's so much more harder to time that up because Drew's a big guy. Not only does he always have to get up for the Claymore, he has to get up even more because the guy is in the air. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, it was absolutely I beautiful. mean, we've had a lot of those moves in the past. Edge has done that with a spear. You had Randy Orton catch Evan Bourne. Uh, I forgot the name of Evan Bourne's move, but with the RKO where he was falling to the ground perfectly. Uh, you know, the Seth Rollins trying to do the stomp, flip him up and grab him. There, there's so many different similar types of finishes we've gotten. But to hit that move, the Claymore, you're flat on your back, basically. You're falling backwards. With a guy flying vertically, it's insane. Like, I don't even know how they did. Like, I don't even know how they timed that right. But credit to them because it was an exceedingly strong finish to the match. It probably improved the match a full half letter grade. Yeah. But it the match just wasn't really that good. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a B ultimately, like because of the yeah. finish. See, yeah. it was a C plus B minus and the, the finish kind of got you there. But anyway, so that's the end of the match. Drew is the WWE champion. And this is the main event, by the way, I should note, of the entire show. So you see McIntyre and right as the chamber is raised, Lashley comes in out of nowhere and spears McIntyre. I'm flipping out because it's ex- this is exactly what I want to happen, right? It's well, the- but f- before this, I mean, we didn't mention, I, I think it was bef- might have been before the final chamber match, we saw MVP and The Miz talking backstage. We did. And I was already feeling McIntyre versus Lashley, as I mentioned earlier, after the United States Championship match. And they did totally telegraph what would come with Miz and MVP talking backstage to the point, Chris, that it makes me wish they saved it for Raw tomorrow, hoping we forgot about it or just did it in a different way where it happened immediately right before it, where Lashley is doing the attack while MVP is talking to Miz backstage. Like you see it picture in picture. And then everything else transpires as it does. Instead, it just felt like they treated us like we're morons a little bit. Like they had to fully force feed us and fully telegraph it when the moment would have been great if we just saw the sneak peek of it and then we got it tomorrow on Raw. Or 
if it was happening simultaneously. But instead, the way they did it, I think they had them talking before the women's tag team match, or if not, it was after and right before the chamber match. But either way, to your point, I felt like they were treating me like a child a little bit. I I wouldn't have done it at all. I would have just had Lashley beat him up. And, and then explain it tomorrow? And, yeah, and, and, then, and, then, and then Lashley beats him up. Miz comes out, does the pin, and Lashley just stands there and watches it as opposed to walking away. He, so, so you can tell there, for some reason, Miz and Lashley are in the cahoots. We'll find out tomorrow on Raw. You know, they, they did telegraph it a bit. I think that would have been a, a cool... I, I'm always the... Com, throw something at us completely shocking and explain it after the fact. And, and I think if, if they had not, if they had not shown us that, because you, you knew something was, first of all, you knew something could happen because they show you that. Then they're Well, dude, right when they were, right when they were talking, you knew what, I, I and, knew yeah. what was going to happen. And then they're lingering on McIntyre for quite a while. They're lifting up the cage and you're like, all right, you're, you, you just, you knew something was going to happen. I think it would have been cool if it came out of nowhere. Cause at first, if, if it comes out of nowhere, you're thinking, oh, Lashley's beating him up. He wants a challenge. Okay. But then if Miz, and then if Miz comes in, and cashes in and wins. That's and Lashley, the holy shit moment. Yes. And Lashley's yes. just, and Lashley's like cool with it. Then you're like, what the hell is going on here? Well, you, just, you, you have Lashley there just kind of looking at it like, what the hell is going on? And then you have MVP come out and kind of take him and just be like, that's okay. And like pat him on the shoulder and like say, this is okay. Don't worry. I got a plan. Like off, you know, inaudibly. And then you tell the story and you show the footage of them talking backstage yeah. to open Raw on Monday. So yes, yeah, yeah. any of those three, whether you show it and then don't do it or you show it simultaneously or you don't show it at all and then show it the following, you know, the following night on Monday night on Raw, either of those three is better than what they actually did, which was basically say, this is what's going to happen at the end of the show. If you have watched wrestling ever in your entire life, <laughs> this is what's about to happen and then have it happen, you know, an hour later. So that was a little bit disappointing. But as to what happened, Right as the chamber got raised at the end of the match, Lashley came out of nowhere, speared McIntyre, obliterated him outside the ring, hit the hurt lock, and then a full Nelson slam. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, this is what I'm talking about. Like, mm -hmm. this is that meat on meat action where we don't want Chris, we don't want no bread, right? We don't want no water. All we want is meat. We don't want no water. We don't want no bread. Because, Chris, we're not worried about what's on the shirt. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. And that's what's getting set up here. Drew McIntyre versus Lashley. But, hey, maybe not. Because before we got to that, before that all happened, uh, all of a sudden, the Miz's music hits. He runs down, officially cashes in Money in the Bank. McIntyre kicks out after a basement DDT. But Miz then hits his skull-crushing finale for the one, two, three. Whoo, boy. What beautiful booking. It makes a ton of sense. Miz won his championship 10 years after his first. He also, as you pointed out in our pre-show, is the first ever double Grand Slam champion <laughs> in WWE history, which is insane That's that amazing. Miz is that person. But he is the new WWE champion. WrestleMania is like, I don't know, 10 weeks away. There's a lot for us to talk about here. Okay. Uh, let me kind of get it rolling. The question is, what direction do they go from here? I see two different options. 
I'm going to give them both to you. You tell me which one you think is most likely. Option one is a fatal four-way match at WrestleMania. The Miz as champion. Sheamus in there because, hey, he still kind of deserves that opportunity. Drew McIntyre is the former champion. And Lashley is the person who basically gave Miz the opportunity. Option two is the better option. It's the one that I expect to happen is the deal MVP made with Miz is that Lashley is the first person to challenge him, blah, 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 because he helped him win the title. Lashley beats Miz clean, becomes the WWE champion, takes the title into WrestleMania, and then McIntyre gets to go over Lashley at WrestleMania in front of a huge crowd in a similar fashion to the way he went over Brock Lesnar in front of nobody, uh, which was supposed to be his crowning moment. I think it's a good way either way, really, but I think doing the McIntyre-Lashley as a stand-in for Lesnar is easily the right decision. That's what I think is going to happen. The only other possibility is if they do that Fatal 4-Way or whatever you want to set it up, and it's not a main event. And and as the main event, they do Bianca Sasha as a as a possible Saturday night main event. Okay. Um, I think that's possible, but that would mean two SmackDown main events, and that seems unlikely. So what I think is going to happen is what she said. I think we get, I think we get Lashley Miz. I think the deal they made was Miz gets the title, but Lashley gets a shot at it. Miz is going to try to wiggle his way out of it you know, in the coming weeks, but Lashley's going to eventually get his shot, get the title. Drew will do something along the way, face Lashley for the title at at WrestleMania. We get we get the McIntyre-Lashley rematch that we've been wanting for quite a while. That's now what the, I think happens. Now, the other thing that WWE could do is they could kind of pull a card out of NJPW's book, which is what they've done the last two Wrestle Kingdoms. And basically what they've done is had a title match on night one and then a challenger waiting on night two to fight the winner of night one. So in this case, what they could do as a guy who held the WWE championship for most of the calendar year, Drew could theoretically be that challenger on night two where on night one, we get Miz versus Bobby Lashley or some other type of match. Maybe it's Lashley beats Miz for the title on Raw we're at Fastlane, and then it's Lashley versus Miz and Morrison. Now, I don't think they're going in that direction, largely because of something we're going to talk about a little bit later, which is other clear plans for the Miz at WrestleMania. So I don't know why they would have him still involved with the WWE title by the time you get to that. But what I will say is, in some form, Lashley versus McIntyre needs to happen at Mania, If long-term listeners of this show, people who have been with us from the beginning of this specific show getting over, remember when we did the instant analysis for McIntyre-Lashley, we sung the praises of that match. Yep. It was a fantastic B-plus, A-minus type of match. Run that back at Mania, give it five to ten more minutes, you have an all-time potential big meaty men slapping meat type of match. So that's what I hope we see. Yeah, the the one thing I was I, I'm not familiar with the way Russell Kingdom works. That challenger waiting on night two is that typically a heel? Because that kind of feels like a heel thing. Uh, not necessarily. Things have been weird with their storytelling. It would take me another hour to basically get into it. But they basically the champion right now has the world and intercontinental title. Gotcha. Well, I, and I, there's I, some weird stuff happening. Sure. So. I, I don't I don't see a scenario where we have a 
Lashley Miz one on one WrestleMania match, even if it's a night one. And then you got to factor in that Roman Reigns versus Edge is going to. It, it, that's got to be the Sunday night. Main it event is the, it, that is going to be the main event of Sunday, but I don't think it's impossible to have both men's world championship matches Sunday well, because you have Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair that you can put on right. night one along with the Intercontinental title along with the US title. And then you can save the tag team titles along with the two men's matches and the other women's championship match possibly for night two. So I do think they have a lot of options. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, one thing that didn't happen in this Elimination Chamber match that I I, I thought was going to happen, I was, I was wondering if we'd get some sort of Alexa Bliss interference to, to Oh, thank God we didn't. Yeah. Thank God we didn't. I, mean, I, I think it's good that we didn't. Yeah, she shouldn't it, be. Uh, it, it, it shouldn't happen every single time Randy Orton shows up. Like you get, it's get, so it's got to be a surprise. You know, some she can't show up every time. So then when she does, it's like, oh, okay. You they've know, done a really good job. I know people are tired of the fiend; they don't like it. WWE, to their credit, Raw has done a very good job the last few weeks, like separating them enough, giving them enough breathing room. Where yes, yes, Alexa factored into. Randy losing the gauntlet match, but in the week prior, she wasn't really involved with anything. Mm -hmm. And then now on the pay-per-view, she's not involved with anything. And now Randy has nothing else to do. So they can actually start up that feud again. Maybe it's another couple of weeks with Alexa. And then right after Fastlane, you have six weeks on the way to Mania. You restart with Wyatt. That's when you bring him back. So that is interesting. The only thing I'll say we'll get out of this match and we'll move on to the final match of the show. Drew has now lost the title twice in a year where you could really make the argument he didn't need to lose it at all. But it does make the Orton title win all that more unnecessary because they didn't keep it on him. If they had kept the title on Orton, then McIntyre losing it would have been fine. But for McIntyre to lose it, win it back, and we're going to assume lose it again here and win it back two months later, now he's going to have three title reigns in a calendar year. And it just pretty, it feels kind of unnecessary to do that. So it 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 kind of comes down to just how you feel about things. I agree the Orton title reign meant nothing. It was very clear that they changed their mind and what they wanted to do with their Survivor Series. They wanted to do Drew versus Roman. So they had right. to flip that back. It's It seems pretty clear to me that they've changed their WrestleMania plans over the last handful of weeks. And that's kind of resulted in some things as well. Um, but overall, I'm a fan of the WWE title changing hands every couple of months. I mean, I got into wrestling in the Attitude Era. And you, you look at like 1999 and 2000 and how many different guys held the WWF title. You know, the Rock and Mankind going back and forth, you know, two or three times on this stuff. I'm generally okay with it. I'm perfectly fine with McIntyre losing it here and still having a chance to get it. And Miz maybe only having it for a month. Um, it, it, as long as it tells a story... I'm fine with the title changing hands. The Orton, the Orton one back before Survivor Series that didn't end up not telling a story. So that was a problem. But overall, I'm okay with the title flipping around a bit here as it might in the next couple months. Okay, and we'll wrap up in terms of the matches on the show with the Women's Tag Team Championship, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler defending against Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. So again, we'll pop back to SmackDown. I'll run through it as quick as I can. We got Ding Dong Hello which by the way, you guys know I love that. Uh, with, with Jackson Baszler as the guest, Bailey was incredible. The champions debated who was worse between Banks and Belair. Reginald strangely came down to defend Sasha. Banks and Belair each said the division revolves around them for different reasons. Then Reginald sets up a six-person tag team match with him involved as the lone man <laughs> and five women 
but they already had a six-person, six-man tag team match set for the main event. So I just thought this was really convoluted, that opening segment. You had the faces, Banks, Belair, and I guess Reginald go over the heels. Uh, Bailey was the third member of the other team. Bailey, by the way, wrestled in socks and a turtleneck, which <laughs> yeah. was really funny. Reginald got tagged in against Jax. She got him flying through the air. Belair and Banks hit a double drop kick on his back, and he barely got the three count on her for the win. Let me let me say this. Nia kicked out like right after three. It was perfect. Yeah. I love that. They sh- that, yeah. that needs to happen more often. Not every like finish needs to knock somebody out. Like the Hogan Warrior kick out, you know, at, at WrestleMania. Like you can do that sometimes. Yeah, you can't overdo it though. You can't overdo it, but it, but like it, it worked. Because it's you not selling for Be- the person. Because they, well, because it's normally the only way you get a something like that is if it's a roll up and they do so many rolls with the women. I'm fine with someone stunned and they lose, but they're not knocked out. Like I, I, it was like a little thing, but I really liked it. It, it made Nia Jack. She, Nia Jax gets pinned by Reginald, but it's not a stupid roll. It shouldn't look dumb, but it's not, you know, she looks totally bad because she was up and about, you know, at three and a half. I think this was the perfect usage of it. It's yeah. looked at generally in wrestling historically i know I when know. you do that as not selling i know for your opponent and goldberg does it all the time people hate when yeah and, and I, obviously hogan doing that to warrior was not a good thing and hogan warrior yeah but it's just i it, i i like it if you use it in the proper storytelling ways and yes. i think they did that here this was a, this was the appropriate situation another appropriate situation could have been taker lesnar because it was already so shocking that first pinfall but they really wanted to sell that so they didn't do it there but Okay, so that match, um, the faces win. Carmella on the show got wine delivered by Reginald, grilled him on what he's been doing as if she doesn't have a television. Uh, but then she said she actually saw <laughs> yeah, what he was doing. Yeah, so exactly. Thank God. Yeah, it was good. I know. Uh, then she threw wine in his face. So my thoughts going into this match, because I did not get to actually include this on the Ultimate Preview. It was really strange that they gave Banks and Belair a title shot when there are already two sets of number one contenders, one on Raw, one on NXT. Don't get me wrong. I like the idea and I appreciate actually that there's number one contenders on all three brands, but it's very AEW for there to be multiple top contenders, including a number one contender. And then someone else randomly just getting a title shot, like on on an episode of Dynamite. They do it all the time. So I, I really don't like when they do that at all. And it's the same criticism here for WWE. I also hate, Chris, that WWE keeps forcing women's singles champions into the tag team title picture. The whole point of the women's tag team titles is to feature the women besides the champions. It's to give them something else to do. And I was really scared going into this match that WWE was going to go full lazy booking once again. They already had Bailey and Sasha Banks win the titles when they were women's singles champions. Then they just had Asuka win the titles because Charlotte Flair came back. I was really concerned that once again, they were going to have Banks in this case and Belair win the titles as a way to like juice up their feud, which they've done so many times recently. So we'll talk about what happened. But that was my thought going in. I really didn't like that this was the match on the card. Uh, so I, I agree, but I didn't think Bianca Sasha had any chance of winning because we're so close to WrestleMania. If this was three months ago, you know, maybe you could use it to build up their friendship before breaking them up. Instead, they just met essentially, you know, a week ago or two weeks ago. And, and under that setup, no, they didn't deserve a match. I, I wish if this was what they, they were going to do, I wish that they had more over the last couple of weeks 
had Sasha and Bianca develop a friendship that that was going to break. Because if you're going to have them in a tag team, like you got to give them some sort of reason to want to be a tag team. And and it was just weird. I, I didn't think they were going to win. It was weird to do it. It's clearly just to build up, you know, them for WrestleMania. But I but it, okay. I, so it, it, it did, but it did, it, it didn't. I it didn't do that. Though. Right. So so that's the problem. So. Going in, you're like, okay, if they have them win, then it's clear they're going the lazy storytelling route. But if they don't have them win, then what's really going to be the story? And my thought was, okay, maybe Carmella getting involved to give Sasha something to do at Fastlane once again. And that's probably what's going to happen. But we'll talk about the match. So Reginald was a full, like, simp, to use the parlance of our times, <laughs> uh, backstage before the match. It was, the match was really slow early with a lot of groundwork. Belair escaped the Kirifuda clutch as Banks tagged in. She had a frog splash on Baszler for a long two count. Belair followed with the kiss of death, but Jax pulled her out of the ring and tagged in. Belair couldn't lift Jax for the KOD, which I do help, hope is something they come back to at some point in the future because I'm sure she can lift her, right? So I hope that they do that yeah. at some point. Uh, so Jax hit her with the new choke bomb finisher. And I actually thought that was going to be the end of the match, but it wasn't. Banks broke it up. Sasha then tagged herself in and hit Jax with a Meteora for a near fall. Then Reginald comes down as the bank statement was on Jax and rolls a champagne bottle to her in the ring. Sasha goes to like grab it and like wonder what to do, maybe throw it away. Jax takes advantage of the distraction, hits a Samoan drop, and then beats the SmackDown Women's Champion one, two, three in the middle of the ring. Look, the good news here, Chris, is the titles didn't change hands. And they gave Sasha and Bianca an out by using Reginald. So in those ways, like, I'll give them, like, a check, let's say, a check on the checkbox. But Banks, the SmackDown Women's Champion, being pinned by Nia Jax was completely unnecessary and an example of WWE booking itself into a corner. They, yes. if there was ever a time to do a countout or a disqualification, this was the match yep. to do a count out or a disqualification. And I appreciate the WWE, especially on pay-per-views, has been going away from those, I think, all year. I mean, I'm sure they've done at least one, but they've, they've really tried not to do booking like that. So I give them credit for that. But this was not the end of the world, but it was a match that never should have happened. It did not create a bit of animosity between Banks and Belair, which is clearly going to be the match at WrestleMania. Carmella at least could have shown up at ringside to instigate, maybe argue with Reginald, that distracts the women, that gives Banks a reason to want to fight Carmella again. But ultimately, this was absolutely worthless when this spot in this match could have gone to Naomi and Lana, legitimate number one contenders who could have had a legitimate match. So because of all of that, Chris, on a very good pay-per-view, I have absolutely no choice but to drop the 0.0. .0. Zero point zero. Yeah, you, you know how I wouldn't have done this at the Elimination Chamber, but I think there's a way you use these four women. And the way you do that is Sasha beats one of them one-on-one. -on -one, Bianca beats one of them one-on-one. -on -one, then you do on the same show. The next week you do it on, on a Raw or a SmackDown or whatever. Yeah, SmackDown. The next week you do the tag match and the tag champs win. And and so they're clearly better as a team. That's how you make Sasha and Bianca look good. That's how you make the tag team look good. You have some sort of fallout in the tag match and they get angry at each other. And 
You have a yeah. You have Bianca accidentally. Someone. You have Bianca accidentally drop kick Banks or push her into Baszler who puts her in the Kurafuda clutch. So she taps out. Yeah, like, like there's a million things that they could have done to book this properly. This was yeah. not it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm. I'm never a fan of these two people are going to face each other. Let's put them in a tag team and see how it goes, which they do so many other times. But you know, well, what's the best way to book Sasha Bianca going into WrestleMania? That's not the exact same Sasha Carmella feud that story that they were telling us. You know, I I don't know, but just th- this this wasn't it. Like you you have both of them teaming up and being happy. And not creating, as I've said, any any animosity or hate. So how do you now turn that on a dime and make them hate each other for a hot feud at WrestleMania? Because Belair is going to want to challenge Banks. Does she challenge her as a face and Banks kind of turns heel and starts beating the shit out of her, blindsiding her? Maybe that's what you do. Yeah. But but it's gone too far to this point and there's no inkling that she's going to challenge Asuka. I mean, I know she showed up on Raw one week, but that's one out of like three since she won the Royal Rumble. You know she's challenging Banks, and there's just no there's no momentum. In fact, I gotta say, the women's booking right now across both brands, it's pretty shit. And Raw, there's some excuse because of what happened to Lacey Evans, and we can talk about that right now. Uh, the other thing to note on Elimination Chamber was there was a scheduled Raw Women's Championship match. They somehow managed to replace Keith Lee the night of the show, but had an entire week to replace Lacey Evans even teasing on the kickoff show Sunday night a potential replacement and just decided to cancel the match. It's really frustrating to me. Asuka has carried the Raw Women's Division for an entire year, but they can't be bothered to book her meaningful singles feuds. Even the Lacey Evans feud is just, it's a Charlotte feud, but she just so happened to win a uh, number one contendership opportunity against Asuka. She's Asuka has barely defended the title over the last six months. She hasn't defended it on a pay-per-view, Chris, since September 2020. Her last title defense before facing Alexa Bliss on Raw in January was in November. So she's not defending the title. This is the woman that has carried the Raw women's division and really the entire women's division, along with Bailey and Sasha Banks, for an entire calendar year. And they couldn't be bothered to do a triple threat match and make a number one contender on the kickoff show to put Peyton Royce in the place of her former tag team partner. They couldn't have just figured any way for Asuka to get a match on this pay-per-view. I'm not saying it was a huge loss, but when you consider the fact that this was the first time she was booked for a pay-per-view since September in in a singles women's championship match for the Raw Women's title, it's just that more jarring to you. Look, the women's booking has been shit. I just said it. The SmackDown women's booking, it's without excitement. The Raw women's booking, I just have to assume it's the most telegraphed thing of all time that Charlotte's going to take the title off of her at Mania. And you knew it the second that she returned to television last month. To me, it's ridiculous at this point. I hate the way, I don't, I don't like saying it's the way Asuka's being treated. I just don't no. like the way she's being utilized. No, it's 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 not like there's anybody on Raw where they're like, why are they not getting a title shot? It's just it's it's a complete failure of the way they're booking the division on on Raw to to not even have contenders right for for, for Oscar. That, that's, and, that's, and as that's and as problem. I've mentioned numerous times, I'm very sorry to interrupt. Yeah, Baszler and Jax were those contenders. Yes, yes. they were they waiting were, yep. for her, and they made him a tag team. 
and and they're and, and they're a good tag team. I I enjoy them as a tag team. I think they have both been elevated by being a tag team. But you got to have some other stuff going on now. Like I right now, then I've got the network on, and they've got the day of the Royal Rumble documentary on, and Rhea Ripley's there, and we haven't seen her since the Rumble, and you know, a Rhea Charlotte Oscar match or something at WrestleMania would be a lot of fun. There there are a lot of ways you can do stuff for this, and they're just not doing it. And and it's you're right. The the the, the kayfabe explanation of doing a kickoff show to, to get a, another person in the U.S. title match and not doing that for the Raw women's match makes no sense. And, and you know, I'm, you know, not that we expect anybody to beat Asuka, and I'm a fan of these pay-per-views being shorter where every match means something, but overall, it's a complete failure of WWE um, for Asuka and, and really most of the women. on Raw. Most of the women, because it's not just Asuka and the singles division, but we've talked about it. It's like, okay, so Naomi and Lana are now the number one contenders for the women's titles. But what happened to Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke who were winning and like doing well? And the Riot Squad that was winning and now they're losing to Tamina and Natalia? Yeah. It's like, but you have a tag team people want to see as the champions, right? It, this stuff just really doesn't make sense what they're doing with the women across both shows. Meanwhile, the women's booking in NXT is like as strong as it possibly can be. So... They really need to get on that. A couple more things before we get out of here from Elimination Chamber. We are going slightly long. Uh, backstage, we did see Bad Bunny talking to Sonya Deville when Miz stepped up to him. <laughs> Bad Bunny smacked the shit out of Miz. Yeah. Uh, when he went to respond, suddenly Damian Priest was there. I thought it was a good quick segment. In the moment, it just continued their feud. But now it's like, okay, yeah, this they're probably going to resolve Miz being champion pretty quickly. But... Bad Bunny's been smacking the shit out of now the WWE champion. You got to think of him in that context. And Damian Priest is feuding with the WWE champion. So I, again, I know that Miz is basically going to be pulling double duty, but it is pretty interesting that they're doing that. No, I, I think we can all see where this is going. And that is Miz versus Bad Bunny, champion versus champion, main event at WrestleMania. Dude, what if, what if Bad Bunny cost Miz the WWE title? Like I know Lashley, well, I, I mean, I, I know Lashley could beat Miz on his own, but it would be really funny if Bad Bunny. I mean, him the title. I I think that's going to happen, or it, really it, some sort of some something along those lines. I do think something like that's going to happen. That'd be really it, like Morris, like Morrison comes out, he takes out Morrison, like some deal like that, maybe. Yeah, I, so, I I mean, obviously they have to. They're going to get to that, and I think that's a, another way for them to do it. So I, I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. I also wanted to send a shout out to Sonya Deville. I don't know if anyone got to see her uh, in that segment or on the kickoff show. She was wearing like a sleeveless suit that had to make make Pat McAfee jealous. <laughs> she looked great. She also cut a great promo Friday night on Twitter about what she wants to see from WWE superstars. And it really sounded like she was just setting the stage for her in-ring return. So I just, Sonya was on point. I really loved it. Uh, with that, let's get to the post-show grades. This is the part where we talk about what you guys thought about the show and Chris and I will give our final grades. So a quick refresher, Chris. In the pre-show grades, the A's were 5.6%, B's 58.4%, C's 34.8%, and then D through F 1.1%. That was 64% A or B. In the post-show, 24.8% said A. Wow. 50.9% said B. That is 75.7% .7 
a full 12% higher, not a full 12%, nearly 12% higher, only 17.4% C, and shockingly, 6.8% D through F, way higher than normal. So this was a polarizing pay-per-view, and I think I get it. On one hand, you have The Miz winning the title. And look, people who are voting in our poll, it's not necessarily just our listeners. I use the hashtags. Maybe people are finding it and voting into it. Maybe some of the people voting, I'm not saying they're marks, but maybe they take it for what it is and they hate The Miz and they're not happy that he's champion or they just don't like the booking, the idea of Drew McIntyre losing the title to a Money in the Bank cash and to The Miz. I can understand that. I can also understand having the Women's Tag Team Championship and then that result as the end of the show, someone not liking how that transpired, especially when you then add Daniel Bryan getting squashed by Roman Reigns. So if you're operating on the results and whether you as a fan are getting the things that pop you, I can understand someone going C or D through F. I'm not one of those people, Chris. What is your final grade for WWE Elimination Chamber? See, my grade is, is my grade is typically, do, did they tell the story that they wanted to tell? And, and I think they very much did that here. I'm, I'm, I'm floating between the B plus A minus range. Um, and ugh, I, I'm kind of stuck between there. I, I guess I'm going to lean B plus because there was nothing in this, sh- nothing really in this show where I'm going to like remember forever. I mean, maybe a money in the bank cash in, but um, I, I'll, I'll say B plus, which is about where my prediction was coming in. Sure. And, you know, I kind of have to stay in the same line. Like I, I it's not meant like I, that we predicted the right grade of the show. Right. But this was a B show for me. Um, I could maybe even go B minus if you held it up in comparison to the last six or seven WWE pay-per-views, which you and I, we've done these incident analysis and consistently these shows have exceeded our expectations. WWE's pay-per-views say what you want about Raw being a pretty bad show recently. We say a lot about it. Yeah, we say a lot about it being a bad show. By the time the pay-per-view rolls around, SmackDown and Raw come together to put on damn good shows. They've been booked better, really smart storytelling. This was another example of that. I think, you know, the the decision to have the Reigns match so quickly after Elimination Chamber, not have the Asuka match, the Women's Tag Team Championship match was really bad. I mean, the wrestling wasn't horrible, but it just made no sense. It didn't need to be there. The men's Elimination Chamber match, I say men's like there was a women's match. The Raw Elimination Chamber match really wasn't great. Uh, It was mediocre, again, except for the finish. So I can't really go in the A range. I can't really go B+. I will say B, which I believe is what I said as my expectation. So it lived up to expectations, Chris, just not in the way I expected it to at all. Yeah, I, I mean, it it was it was weird because we just think because so many things changed at the end, and and we didn't know what one of the matches was going to be on this card, so it was like it was it was it was a little bit strange coming in because of that. But overall, I mean, I, I look at um, I look at the SmackDown things on this, and overall, it was good. I, I'm excited to see what happens on Monday. And actually, I got to ask you this now: now that now that Money in the Bank has been cashed in. I will I will have to say I'll ask you. Oh, we should discuss this. Yeah, did, go ahead. Did they make the right call? I mean, they obviously they went with Otis, then they gave it to Miz, he cashed in, 
sort of. They give it back to him. Now he cashes in again, and he's the champion. So is it safe to say they made the right decision considering the Money in the Bank winner is, or the Money in the Bank holder is now the champion? Well, you can propose that question to me, but I mean, as this is a show that I host, I'm also frequently the one to speak first. So why don't I just send it right back to you? Because I do have an opinion on it, but let me send it back to you and you can answer your own question. Do you feel that ultimately by the end of the year, that money in the bank was utilized well and made valuable? Yes, but I also think they kind of devalued it by giving it back to him. I like I, I, as much as, you know, I've said it before, the idea of Otis winning, I thought there was a lot of cool things they could do. They didn't do anything with him. I don't I don't blame him for the failed Money in the Bank run because I really don't think it was on him. They it was not on him. Otis. It was they, not at all on Otis. The, the, the first run with Miz was pretty good. The idea that he might jump in was at the Goldberg match. I don't remember exactly what it was. One of those matches where he got, it might have been the AJ match, I think. Yeah, where he got involved. It was that Styles, was, yeah. It, it, was, it was fine, but he, it didn't work. So then it was like kind of whatever. Um, now he's, now he gets he gets it back and he wins. So if your Money in the Bank winner wins the championship, I automatically say it's a success. So I think it worked uh, out in the end. It was a very strange path to get here. And I just wish they did more with Otis. So I'm of two minds about it because my biggest criticism with WWE for Money in the Bank is that they either use them too quickly or they waste them. And wasting them can happen in a variety of forms putting them on the wrong person, Otis being the wrong person, putting it on someone, having them cash in right away and lose, right? So there's myriad ways that over the last three to four years, I'd really have to go back and think and see who won each one, that WWE's devalued and relatively, I don't like always saying WWE ruins things, but somewhat ruined the cachet of having the money in the bank briefcase. Brock Lesnar should never need to win Money in the Bank. He has never once in his career been held back from a championship opportunity. Right. So he does not need to win Money in the Bank, just like he doesn't need to win the Royal Rumble, right? He gets a title match whenever he wants. So in giving it to Otis, it was a horrendous decision. He was never going to be the champion, and it made absolutely no sense for him to even challenge or threaten for the title because he's a face. And there was no one on that show, The Fiend at the time or Braun Strowman, where it would have made a shred of sense for him to cash it in. So that was a horrible piece of booking. At the same time, they give the women's one to Asuka, knowing before she even won it, that she wasn't going to actually have the briefcase. She was just going to have the championship. So they chose to give the other briefcase to someone who wasn't going to actively utilize it the way that it should be used. And this, by the way, is coming off the year prior where Brock won for the men. We already talked about that. And I forgot who won. I think it was... Bailey and cashed it in the same night to beat Charlotte Flair or something like that. I think that's correct if my if my memory serves. So uh, that was another year where they one of them was gone right away and the other one was Brock and you, he just cashed it in in Saudi Arabia and it was like this yeah. is ridiculous. So was the utilization of Money in the Bank good in 2020 slash 2021? No, it was not. But they did save it at the end by allowing a real cash in and a title change to be part of a key storyline that makes sense in an important juncture on the road to WrestleMania. So the end result was slightly positive, but to me, Chris, I got to say, it only takes it from like a D minus to a D plus. 
it's still a very, very below near failing usage of money in the bank. Yeah, it's hard to give it a grade. I guess I would just say, did the idea of money in the bank get, uh, did the prestige of it get improved or, or, or decreased through this run? I would say at the end, it, it is a net positive, but just slightly. We have, we have a new champion. I think it has to be a positive. It worked. It's an ex- but I, I don't think it really helped it in, in the end. I honestly, I, the whole Otis Miz fighting over the briefcase thing, I actually thought that was really entertaining. The, that was the best part of the, the money courtroom in the bank stuff run. they did. Yeah. Like it should be treated as a title that other people like want to take from somebody else. And I, I think that added to it. Um, but it was there was a lot of lows throughout that period of time. Um, so I I give it a if it's a thumbs up or a thumbs down, it's just slightly a thumbs up for me. They ultimately figured out a use for it, but the money in the bank briefcase, the way it should be utilized is to take an upper mid carter or a mid carter and prop them up one level. So mid card yeah. to upper mid card or upper mid card into main event because you want them interacting with the world champion and you want them to get shine. You want someone who doesn't have the opportunity previously, a Matt Riddle, a Keith Lee, guys like that, Cesaro even, even though he's been there forever, someone who's never really had a WWE championship opportunity. You want guys like that to elevate their game and prove that they deserve the opportunity to be either WWE champion, universal champion, or one of the women's champions, if it's the women's money in the bank. That was not successful this year. Otis, they gave it to, he failed completely. The storyline of the change to Miz was good. Miz is an established main roster superstar. I mean, he's been here forever. He had he was a WWE champion 10 years ago. So he's not someone who needed money in the bank. Ultimately, they figured out a good use for it. But to me, that doesn't solve all of the wrongs over the prior, you know, 10 months or however nine months that we've had money in the bank. That's yeah. my biggest issue with it. But I, I, I did really enjoy the, the match though, doing it in Titan Towers or whatever. I, I, re- I thought it was a fun match. I don't think you really liked it going back to the time. You didn't really care for the match. I thought it, that was like right in the early days of the pandemic. I thought the that only, was a really, really the only fun thing I didn't, way to do that match. The only thing I didn't really like about it is they barely spent any time in the ring. Yeah. If they had actually stayed up there and wrestled and gone up and down the ladder and tilted the ladder over, just like you normally would, I would have liked it. Instead, the ladder was almost like a stationary object. And the first person to climb it won. Except yeah. for Otis, where it fell down. Like so, again, he didn't even climb the ladder to win. This I forgot money in the bank sucked. <laughs> money in the bank sucked this year. Let's just be honest. Okay, it ended up like decently. And if they go with Lashley, if Lashley wins the title off Miz, and we get Lashley McIntyre at WrestleMania, then fine. Okay, ultimately, I guess it worked out. But no, as of right now, it has largely been a failure. This was just a cherry on top of a shit Sunday. Is the best way I'll put it. it. It needs to be a lot better in 2021. It needs to be much better in 2021. That's the biggest key. That said, Elimination Chamber, as we said, exceeded expectations. We're still very positive on the road to WrestleMania. Raw has a huge opportunity on Monday night, Chris. I was actually talking to uh, my former co-host of the In This Corner podcast, Handsome Nick Costos. We were talking on Twitter and he said he watched the pay-per-view. He was shocked. He enjoyed it. And he's going to tune into Raw. And I said, Nick, be careful. Because I'm telling you, the pay-per-views have been great recently. Raw has not been. But what Raw has the opportunity to do, starting this Monday, Chris, they can set a different course. 
There's a new champion. There's two new champions now on that brand. The road to WrestleMania, we said, is 10 weeks long at this point. Raw can start fresh. They can rejigger their storylines and they can start moving forward in a positive direction and make good programming every single week of these 10 weeks on the road to WrestleMania. They need to catch up to what SmackDown's doing because it's been pitiful to this point, but the chance is there. The door is open. And one other thing, congrats to Jack Crosby for getting over part-time O's to uh, announce he is going to be a father. Announced that earlier today. I assume, I assume he's the father of Lacey Evans's baby. I just, I'm guessing just based on the timing. So congrats, <laughs> congrats to, to Lacey and, and Jack's and Jack. wife is the opposite in, in the best possible way of uh, <laughs> Lacey Evans. So no, congrats to Jack. Yes. Jack Crosby, uh, occasional guest here on the getting over wrestling podcast, former co-host of mine at the state of combat podcast. Uh, he and his wife are having a child and I am very excited for both of them. So a good night, a good weekend, a good pay-per-view. Let's see what happens Monday night on Raw. So this is how it's going to go here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Tuesday for another WWE episode. Yes. What's going to happen there? We're going to talk the rest of what happened Friday on SmackDown, and there's plenty. Mid-card title picture with Big E. Seth Rollins is back. The women's tag team stuff we talked about. There's plenty of stuff to talk about from SmackDown, plus everything from the Raw After Elimination Chamber all this Tuesday on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And then we will be back on Thursday to talk all things NXT and AEW. AEW is still going to be one week out from their go-home show for AEW Revolution. So this episode should be interesting. NXT is setting a new course. Uh, after what transpired at NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day over a week ago at this point. So it is going to be interesting to see what goes down Thursday. So this week, Tuesday, WWE, Thursday, NXT, AEW, as per usual. You can follow Vintage Chris Vanini on Twitter, at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, The Silver King, on Twitter, at Silverstein Adam. And you should follow this show no matter what, on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review for your favorite wrestling podcast. Tell everyone why you love this show so much. Be sure to share with your friends and family. It's been a long night. The Silver King is going to get us out of here. So for Vintage Chris Manini, this is The Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and I'm going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>